Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor third love They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who has listened to me do that intro 300 times, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, everybody. Love you, Mr. Kanata. Happy to be here. Love you too, my friend. Um, this is pretty cool. 300 episodes of this show. Uh, and, and we're going to have a little bit of a celebration. We're going to do a regular episode too. We got lots to talk about. But um, my goodness, Christian, who would have thunk it back in 2014, uh, January of 2014, that, that we'd still be going strong 300 episodes later? Here's to at least one more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always hoping for at least one more. That's right. And uh, I, I have to say, the one thing I'm proudest of uh, about about all of that is we have never taken a week off. We've never in 300 episodes. We have. I think never we've had taken... like one or two for like holiday or so. I think we, have. we haven't. We haven't, dude. We have never done a best of episode or oh, I see what you're saying. We've never there's never been there's never been a week where we didn't show up and do one. There's been weeks where I was having a baby or you were having a baby and one of the other of us wasn't there. But um the show has it's I'm very proud of that. We haven't we haven't had vacations really from doing the show. We haven't put out like a, you know, filler thing that was just clips. It's it's been the show. Um Yeah, my wife know. loves that. <laughs> yeah, both our wives super happy about that. Um but you know this show grew out of another show and I am so excited about our guest because it does honor to that tradition and that legacy and you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Canada and your downloadable Christian but this week I'm so excited because DLC stands for DLC legend confirmed because Back with us, our friend, you love him, you know him, as do we, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Garnet Lee. 
This is Sparta. <laughs> three hundred. <laughs> He's going right in there with that three hundred reference. Hey, look, I did. I did offer it up to you in the pre-show. You're like, whatever, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm taking that, and I'm not leaving that on the table. <laughs> hey, it has been too long, Yo. my friend. How are you? Uh, well, you know, if you followed me in the social media, you know that my summer has been filled with uh, concerts vacationing uh traveling around and general tomfoolery which is kind of like the most awesome summer ever that's pretty great man you gotta it's you also gotta awesome live. in the state of washington but you have to realize in the state of washington you go through like darkness and then like semi-darkness and then summer arrives and you're like man i want to get out and get my kayak and go crazy and so you like have these like eight week period where you're just like in the sun and it's awesome that is that is pretty wonderful so, yeah, uh, I was nothing. Ex- what's that yeah, so yes, doing that thing. That's what I'm doing up to. that thing. I was expecting you to say that you have been missing us horribly and uh, been pining away for oh, the day honey. that we would finally. Yeah, Garnet Ten Rows back at the Rolling Stones is thinking about you and me, Jeff. That's I'm sure I, that's what that's he's what doing. I expected him to say. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> oh, sweetie, I'm sorry. I mean, of course, uh, I always think about you guys. What you know, of course. I mean, look. There's like there's like that, you know, wonderful, loving embrace that you always have. And then you try to make up for it with these temporal things that can never satisfy you in the same way. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but I have to say, Garnet, as uh, we teased last week that it might be you, we, we I have gotten so many wonderful messages from people through the week. Uh, you, guys, so you guys are awesome. All you listeners, you are absolutely amazing. Thank yeah. you. I can't I can't even, I cannot say thank you much enough. Well, we are going to get to uh, the regular show, but I hope you'll indulge us. I hope you'll indulge us as well, little Garnet, uh, because uh, I reached out to people and asked for their favorite memories on Twitter uh, from the last 300 episodes of DLC. And you guys came through just wonderfully. I'm so, so just humbled by the amount of wonderful ring, 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 ring. Oh, ring, oh, ring. Hang on a second. Uh, it looks like the, the show line is – we haven't taken calls on the show in quite a while, but ring, I, I, I guess ring, I should answer it. Uh, yes, hello. You're on – Hey, 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 Jeff. This is Mark, and I got I got to tell you something. You know what I mean? If you're trying to sell this episode as episode 300, you yeah. really need to come to the table with something bigger than like, well, I asked for emails or something. Like hit them with that hard stuff up top, get people excited, and then after that, then delay it by six months, okay? Get their money now and then just delay it, all right? This is Mark Edding from marketing. Is this is that who you haven't called our show in so long, Mark? Well, you guys have been on such a great clips, you know, for so long. You haven't needed my services, but this episode has really started really flat. It's like, mm. oh, we did some thing, and you guys, you got to hit them with that good stuff up top, and then you got to say the only way you can get in is with the founders upgrade, and you charge mm. one hundred and fifty dollars for something that's going to be free two months later. Yeah, no, we don't charge anything for the show. In fact, I said at the very beginning that the show is free. Uh, what? So- uh, you're losers. All right, that's that's Mark Edding. So good to know that Spicer's uh, cynicism has in no way eroded. I mean, 300, 300, he's like 300. I got 3 million of these in me. Uh, All right, let me read a few emails and then we'll get get onto the show. But I I just wanted to, I I don't have time to read all the emails that we got, but there are some good ones. Production Uh, note, emails may or may not have been edited by producers for content. (laughs) Garden knows how the the sausage is made. Um, Travis writes... uh, moments running gags themes and things i love about dlc the first time Je- jeff sang the story of the week theme song and christian's reaction to it uh the running gag that every time a new video card gets released you have to throw your old one in the garbage because that's what it is garbage uh the e3 hype train choo choo and e3 special episodes jeff's vr i still vividly remember jeff describing his first vr moment playing e valkyrie on the oculus dev kit i can't shake him 
guess I said that. I guess I referenced Star Wars even then. Uh, Spice Tradamus and the fact that you make an effort to have a diverse lineup of guests. The persistent, blatant, and infectious positivity you bring to the industry and the community. Thank you so much for 300 episodes. Here's to 300 more. Hey, I'm going to promote that last one because in a world filled with so much, uh, hey, look at me and I need more hits, the persistence of the uh, Jeff Kanata I love loving things makes me happy. Oh, thank you, man. I, it is, uh, you know, it's not going to be the, the most hits, the most downloads of anything, but we're sticking to our guns. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be what we are uh, whether or not we, uh, have the biggest audience. And that's, that's just, I can't help it. That's what we do. Um, this one comes from Andrew Oles from Huntsville, Alabama. Andrew writes, uh, in S- September of 2014, while living in China, I decided to go on a short walk and thought DLC would be a good choice to keep me company. Little did I know what I was in for. The infamous episode 40 heated destiny discussion. (laughs) My short walk turned into an hour and 45 minutes of wandering around a city I had only recently moved to. I was regularly stared at as I laughed out loud every few seconds, but it didn't matter. I was having too much fun to stop walking. I didn't even own a console to play Destiny, (laughs) PC snob here, but the debate was such a superbly interesting conversation that it kept me walking for hours, learning new routes around my new city. Uh, It's a simple but cherished memory. Wherever you happen to live, a city, a suburb, in the country, I highly recommend going on a long walk in areas you're less familiar with while listening to a podcast like DLC. You'd be surprised what adventures you can create for yourself just by aimlessly walking. Now that Destiny 2 has been out on PC for nearly two years, I've become quite a fan of the game, and I still regularly think back to that wonderful memory walking around China through parks, alleys, past skyscrapers, getting lost, all while laughing at Christian, Jeff, and their guest, Phil Kohler, heatedly debating the original Destiny. Thank you for the memories back then and the memories that are still to come. So I love that. That was a great one. Thank you, Andrew. Great uh I remember I that. Do you do? Yeah. 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 Uh, Phil's great. That was a great episode. That was a lot of fun. I mean, the original Destiny, I mean, Garnet, I'm sure, remembers the original Destiny. It was the promise and what was delivered and expectations and living up to those. It was uh, it was the Wild Jeff, Jeff, West. Remember that time, like, in, in the uh, original Destiny, like, when we got the first raid and, like, you got to the end? And... Oh, wait. That, that yeah. was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome it's so awesome you remember uh, that it was yeah so awesome. yeah i remember being so excited by the destiny demo and being like oh this is just a taste of the game and then that that entire episode was like no that demo was the, that's the whole game <laughs> was the demo that was it they just it's that's so awesome. r- rinse repeat See, uh, by the way you guys realize i just steal stuff that was obviously chris farley i just steal stuff from whatever thing i've seen it's just i'm just like a sponge and soak it up and then just regurgitate it like a regurgitation no, sponge that's good regurgitate it on our show anytime you like <laughs> this one comes i'll just do a couple more this one comes from gavin uh who says hey dlc people so this time you're downloading comments eh i'm garvin from germany cologne and probably have heard jeff's voice more often than my wife's in the past 10 years Sorry for that. Uh, hey, wait, from- Jeff, tell him to clean the bathroom and take the trash out or something. <laughs> Help no, out. Wait, the if you can do him a, you can do him a German salad. You'd be like, it's actually Kuhn. Oh, what does that mean? What is that Kuhn. a reference to? But that's the way the, oh, that's the Cologne's actual, like, pronounced Kuhn. The way, what, yeah. The, the way I was explained to me is that the Germanic, like, or the way it's spelled out, we pronounce is Kuhn. We oh. all, of course, all those English speaking Americans, we say Cologne, but I just mean Kuhn. All right. Wow. 
authentic. I don't even think I could pull that off. Am I saying it right? Am I doing that right? Tread the line carefully here, yeah, my friend. Sorry. Uh, coming the Germans from are still our allies. <laughs> yeah. Do we have Al? I don't even know. Uh, coming from TRS and we can confirm. I also enjoy Christian's ramblings, of course, especially when he's lawyering or daddying up. My most memorable episode quickly came to my mind, and it's not even about games. The episode would be from April 2016, following the death of Prince. Jeff mm. held the most sincere, heart-wrecking, and inspiring fan eulogy that rang with me ever since. My most precious takes of DLC come up when you guys look above and beyond the pure gaming aspects and show the gamers must not only be bloodlusting ego shooters, but can be moral, decent humans. You've inspired me by countless efforts to be a better person and actually think about what I put out into the world. Now that I'm a father myself, your podcast stuck even closer to my heart. For the next 300 episodes, I wish that games will always inspire you and spark joy in both hard and cheerful times. Keep in mind how many people far away you are able to touch and let them grow. Thank you. Cool. That's, that's actually really cool. And hold on, just because it brought back a great memory for me. I had the good fortune of living in LA when Prince did the residency in the forum and Jeff and I got to go to, we went to several of the shows. Yes, we did. It was the best. That is a great memory to bring back. So thank you for this uh, halfway around the world memory worm to like bring that back up. Cause that was awesome. Thank you very oh, much. Man, that yeah, was so did, much fun. Yeah, you did awesome. It, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, we would like get in the car after weekend confirmed and go and, uh, and go down to the LA. Inglewood, always in the hood. Yeah, it was great. That was good times. Um, here, uh, somebody else, uh, Greg said he enjoyed the crowning of Tetris as the objective best game of all time. Thank you, Greg. Yes, we did crown Tetris as the objective best game of all time. Uh, and then to wrap things up, lest we get too big for our britches and too self-congratulatory, Richard in Texas says, I haven't been listening too long, but my favorite episode so far might be when y'all predicted PUBG had nothing to fear from Fortnite. So, yeah, nailed that one. Uh, I stand by that. Nothing to fear. <laughs> they won't even uh, yeah. see it coming. You'll get squished so quickly. <laughs> in like our defense, slug. in our defense, PUBG's still doing fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we did say that there's no way an also ran like Fortnite would take over the world. Nailed it. Nailed that prediction, as we often do. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, that's just a small sampling of what were many, many emails and tweets and uh, messages that I received, that we received. And uh, it, it's just so wonderful, the outpouring of uh, memories and, and reflections on the show. So thank you so much. But let's get into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Garnet, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I mean, I'm kind of up in arms over this whole Katy Perry situation. I mean, holy cow. <laughs> I, I did not see that coming. I mean, Lilo got nothing on her. That's uh, oh, I went the wrong Gaming way. story of the week, Garnet. Oh, uh, we so, can talk Katy Perry as long as you want. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so I think one of the most interesting ones, that was, so, uh, this, this whole Phil Spencer thing in the Netflix of games is years and years away is fascinating to me. But look, this is one of those cases where 
what Phil is needing to do from a marketing perspective is pivot away from this whole idea of Netflix of games. And the only reason he has to do that is because we still live in this weird world where video games have rightfully ascended to equal platform with television, movies, and, and any number of other entertainments, yet continue to need to be described in relative terms because <laughs> there are there are non there, there's still like there's still people like my dad who are like well, I don't know what the video game thing is you do, but I don't know. It's all right, I guess. It's yeah. so silly because you're never going to have a, quote, Netflix of games. What, you, what we're needing to get to, and, and this is something that Google is going to have to face with Stadia as well, is that streaming, at, at some point in time, there is going to be sufficient technology to support distributed or you know, to support this, the, this sort of a client and server model in games. We're not going to need boxes under the televisions for forever. It doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for us to be buying a hardware that takes two years to be developed. And then by the time it's in your house, it's already relatively outdated. and they were making compromises for price and cost balance. And none of that makes any sense. Right. But the Netflix model, which arguably has changed at least twice since Netflix started, will yes. never, will never not be the game model either. You're not going to sit around and be developing uh, like original content for streaming services a la netflix because netflix is pulling from everywhere and it's and you know it's not like a platform it, it it is a platform obviously we're trying to get uh segregated there and obviously a lot of weird stuff is happening with disney and other players entering that space but you can't just sit around and riff content this is the problem games have always faced it's that you cannot build content at a cost uh a return basis like you can like, like you can put a camera in front of somebody and like film stuff right mm -hmm. so i think that what we'll see is that there will be a sort of a crossfade, if you will. Obviously, I like the DJ, so I love, that's my analogy I'll use. But like, you know, there'll be sort of a crossfade as different uh, outmoded technologies like brick and mortar, and to some degree, even I mean, I can see an, I can see a world in the future where Steam doesn't become irrelevant because someone else takes the, the someone else. No one's going to out Steam Steam, I don't think. But what they might do is they might move into the next thing after that. And I do think that streaming is where it's going to be. I just don't think it's going to be a Netflix model. I just there's going to be a number of different models and it's going to depend on what the game type is. You're still going to have free to play games. You're going to have a rising number of spectator sport games. You're going to have games that are tied in through viewers, through, you know, through Twitch and, and have different sort of revenue models. And the solution for bringing games to players and audiences through streaming services will be much more uh, dynamic than Netflix. Netflix is, Hey, I've got some video content on a server. I spin it up. I send it to you. You watch it. That is not the way games work. Hmm. Lots of stuff to unpack there. I, and, and you know, you thought we brought Garnet on for his awesome uh, 300 The Movie references. But no, it is uh, in-depth analysis like this. And it's so great to, to hear you talking like this again. Um, first of all, let me just recap what happened. Uh, Phil Spencer, the, uh, the head of Xbox, had an interview with GameSpot. And he said, quote, I think the Netflix of games is years away from being a mainstream being mainstream is years away from being a mainstream way people play. And I mean, years like years and years, he says, I think game streaming will get there faster than 20 years, which is how long it took Netflix, but it's not going to be two years. This is a technological change. While it seems like it happens overnight, it doesn't. It takes time for these services to evolve. We are building for the long term, but that's why choice is so critical. So this is a topic we've talked about on the show a lot. And I, ask you, I mean, having listened to only some of that, 
how accurate do you think his assessment of that situation is that that it is a big technological change that technological change takes a long time and that it's a time window of 20 years or more i think that it's going to be fewer than 20 and i think it's it i think all of these i think what happened with netflix is that they surprised everybody they took the market by surprise a bit and I don't think people saw Netflix coming quite because Netflix, as you indicated, Garnet, Netflix started as a way to get DVDs sent to you in the mail. Yep. And they transitioned smartly into this streaming model just the right amount, just the right time and did it as the brick and mortar, as the blockbusters of the world were waning. And it, you know, they completely changed their business model from sending you a disc in the mail. Although I think they still do do that. But, um, became yeah, the streaming service. As, they split that off as a separate business, but yes, they still will do DVD by mail. Yeah. So I, the, I think the difference here is that it's not taking anybody by surprise. I think everybody sees that and sees what kind of money it makes and understands the thing that you've been saying, which is the future isn't local processing power. The future is cloud processing power leveraged through the pipes of the internet to give you a an experience that isn't hindered by all those factors that you indicated like and what grabs me about this and here's where i can't believe I mean, and phil is a super smart man who i i'm friends with him he's a great guy i really I, I love what he has done with repositioning xbox around the studios i think he is missing the way the curve continues to accelerate we've all thought at some point in time the curve is going to stop accelerating but it hasn't the reason netflix was the one who came clean or came clear in the whole streaming war was that it was in the right space to take right advantage of the uh, evolution of of like traditional broadband but right now we're stuck again at a little plateau we're stuck at a plateau where the backbone of the internet is now running at screaming hot speeds and data centers and distributed uh, networking like through aws or azure or whoever you want to do it has like amazing technology but we're hamstrung by the last mile that is going to be solved whether it's 5g or some other technology is going to be solved and it's not going to be over copper wire and it's not going to be over a conduit. It's going to be like something is going to come along. And when that happens, the world is going to be upset extremely quickly. It's just, it's, it's the same thing as like when, when MMOs are being built, right. And they get to, they get, well, here we need, you know, X number of hours of end content. Once you reach level 80 players will never get there this fast. They're, you know, it's going to take them at least a year, year and a half to get there. And then they'll be able to play it for months, right? And then what happens is they get there in two weeks and they finish your end-level content in two days. Right. That's exactly what's going to happen here is people will be resting on their laurels. And this is why I think the Google Play with Stadia so far is like in the right space. Even if they're out ahead of the curve on that a little bit, what they're able to do on their back-end technology and what they're able to do against things established, and I would be shocked if you know other major players aren't in the same space like thinking about this, will be ready to take advantage of whatever that uh, technological evolution is that takes us from where we are today, where someone you know fortunate like myself who's sitting on fiber can get gigabit, but no one else really can to, holy cow, everybody has lightning fast. Yeah. Christian, I know you have long pined for this future coming true and, and hope for it. And I think we all, in, in many conversations about this have seen the benefits of what this could bring convenience low barrier of entry cost wise the list goes on do you what do you make of phil spencer saying this when microsoft is clearly the closest to a netflix of games that anybody is doing so far uh 
And also, what do you think? Do you think he's accurate? So I, I, I've mentioned this, I don't know how long ago, but I, I do think the Netflix of games um, analogy is kind of conflating or used to describe two different things. And one is like a vast catalog of games that you can go in and play for one standard subscription price. And that's kind of what Game Pass is delivering, right? And that Netflix certainly has that. But the other thing that I think some people used to describe as a Netflix of games is a streaming future. Um, and whether or not that includes the library, I don't think necessarily is always part of that conversation. But in this instance, I feel like um, Phil is setting expectations, right? Like they demoed xCloud at E3. They clearly are working on this technology. But I like the idea of saying, hey, this is going to take a while to replace the, the way most people play. And then if it ends up taking a shorter amount of time, I don't think people are going to be raising their pitchforks being like, you said this would take 10 years. It's been three, Phil. This is amazing. It's only been three years. Like, you'd be happy, right? Like, no one's going to be upset that it comes sooner. And I also think from a, you know, Mark Edding perspective, when you're selling, when you're getting ready to sell another box, in addition to whatever xCloud service is, you want to stress how important it is to still have a box, right? Like you want to <laughs> yeah. stress your competitive advantage over Stadia and things like that and not be like, yeah, the yeah. streaming is here. I mean, here's this $500 box. It's like, fine, You're I guess. I need a box in two years. Buy our box, please. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, hold so, on. Christian, are you arguing though that either of the two or, or either of the two who compete against each other on, on platform wars or Nintendo, if you want to bring them in as well, really want to be making boxes? The only reason I think that someone wants to be making boxes is that it helps lock people into a ecosystem more so than just streaming can when they are universal across devices. Like on my TV, I care less what service the thing is on. Like, oh, I'm watching The Boys on Amazon or this is on Netflix or this is on Hulu. It's easy to switch. Whereas if I'm invested in that box that I need to run on the thing and it's not already pre-installed on the black mirror <laughs> i have hanging on my wall um i think that's the competitive advantage the fascinating thing for me is that neither neither to the, well to the extent that i thought they would have neither sony nor xbox have pivoted their their online services to become the sort of community driven twitch centric or i mean i guess you can make an argument for mixer where they're pushing now with influencers but the really the twitch centric sort of community thing because look at some point in time, the box no longer matters. What you really want is you want the community of, of, of fans and audience who are committed to you and what you're doing. And that's yeah. where I thought that where Xbox was going to go or PlayStation was going to go. But neither of them have really managed to like steer that ship the way they needed to. And I think because of a number of pressures. I mean, one of those is they still need to sell stuff at retail and they still have these weird ways. I mean, look, selling stuff in Europe is different than selling stuff in Japan. It's still different than selling stuff in, in Latam. It's, it's, every little area is different. I just I, I don't know how they get there. I actually have some ideas. You could hire me and make me help me do that for that. Year. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that's where it needs to go. I mean, that's what, if 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 I'm Sony or 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 Microsoft particularly, I'm hanging my hat on building an, an amazingly like dedicated and committed and loving community in my online communities that will follow me whether or not I have a box under my television that's the size of a toaster that says Xbox on it or not. <laughs> I think it's a very, very plausible that the long game for Microsoft and maybe more than just Microsoft, but certainly Microsoft is to be a services company and seeing what Apple is even p- pivoting to do. You know, Apple has been a company about selling you an item in a box that you take home and open up and use. 
And I think they, they have in the last three to five years clearly pivoted to being a services company. They're trying to sell you Apple Music and uh, this new Apple TV uh, network. And they want to be they want to be service oriented. OK, how effective do you think they've been at that? I think it's just baby steps so right, far, not, not particularly effective, but I think that's the long, the long game. The and long they're, game they're, is getting your credit card number set to a recurring payment. <laughs> well, right. But, but that's what being a services company is. Yeah. And I think that everybody's happy to, to sell you an item in a box in the short term. And, 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 but what they, I think it seems clear to me, and this is conjecture obviously, but it seems clear to me that Microsoft looks at what they're able to do and says, hey, why be tied to our own box when we exactly. can sell it on anybody's? And if we have, if we have the kind of thing where you're paying a, subs- a subscription to play a whole bunch of games and do it really, really well on anything, anywhere, who who cares who you buy the thing from? We're getting money on the top of the, of all of the things instead of just our things. That's right. Mm-hmm. Define define what the what the content is that the audience wants it wants and deliver it to them well. I mean, I, I, that's really awesome, and that's what I love about what Spencer has done with like Xbox and and especially turning loose the first party team to like go out and get more studios. You know, putting Matt Booney in charge of all that, uh, letting him get Obsidian and Ninja Theory and Double Fine. I mean, I hate to like just steer right into your other question, but I think it's like these tie together so naturally, right? Because, Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you now, now so uh, would you like to introduce the story? Well, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's another thing that's happening just happened this week. And I think we're going to see more of it at, at Gamescom. I mean, you guys may be hearing, you've already yes. maybe heard more of it as you're, you're probably, listening. Yes, you're probably hearing, there's lots of Gamescom news probably while you're listening to this. We're recording before Gamescom has started, but th- we anticipate several games being announced at Gamescom that are ex- technically Xbox first party games now that will be on other platforms like Switch. One of those games, Ori and the Blind Fortress, heavily rumored to be Forest. announced. What did I say? Fortress. <laughs> that would be good, though. Wouldn't it be a bl- Blind Fortress? Uh, <laughs> Ori and the Blind Forest, um, heavily rumored to be announced uh, for Switch at at uh, at Gamescom. And I think this is, as you're indicating, Garnet, I think this is more proof that this is a new philosophy from xbox I, I really i'm almost crossing my fingers but i feel like it's all but a done deal and i think we'll lose the vocabulary for xbox at least of first party because hmm. what it'll be is it's, it's no longer gonna be about first party it'll be yes xbox has a great experience and our hardware is fantastic and this is one of the magical ways to like access the xbox live community and get these great games and at the same time xbox studios will exist as a as a way of building an even larger audience of xbox uh, audience and saying, hey, here are the sort of things that we believe in. Here are the great games that we want to help nurture. Here are the experiences we think are awesome. And we think they're fantastic on the Xbox platform. We think they're amazing on Xbox Live. We want you to have any way to get to them unfettered. I, I think it's more than that. I think it's we want exclusives to Game Pass. We don't care about an exclusive to a physical box. We want ex- we want to have first party games so they're exclusive that add value to our subscription service, and then we'll be happy having that subscription service on whatever you want it on. So if Sony will let us put Xbox Game Pass on a PlayStation, I suspect you'll see that happen. If if they're 
I'll give you Amenable a firm maybe that? on that. I'll give you a firm maybe on that. And my firm maybe comes from, and this is interesting because we're looping all this stuff back together. My firm maybe comes from tying this back to Netflix and this rash of Netflix show cancellations we've seen. The problem there comes from if you think it's expensive to make content for original video content for Netflix, and keep in mind they were canceling shows that were very popular but not popular enough to make the threshold. Imagine now being a studio try, or a large scale publisher trying to have a bunch of first party games and you're making them for a subscription service. There's only so much content, you know, if you're getting $10 per month for this subscription and you've got X number of thousands of members who are, there's only so many dollars coming in. And at the end of the day, there's only so many little slices of pie you can make out of that. Let me ask you this question, Garnett. I'm so fascinated to get your take on this. This is something I've pitched on the show before, uh, but I'd love to hear what you think of it. If, if we're going – I know you've said that Netflix is a, is a bad analogy because it's so different. But what if we actually go farther into the TV and movie template and say basically what how video games are made now for the most part is that it, it would be like um, a, a, a bunch of people got together, made a movie – and then tried to sell it to some like sell it to one of the movie studios to publish it. But right. that's not how most movies get made. How most movies get made, although some people do that, you know, you sell the movie at Sundance or whatever. Most but movies mo- don't get made. Well, yes, but how <laughs> most movies that you see in the theaters, big budget studio movies, are pitched internally at the studio. The, the studio approves the script gets a director and a star and all those things and puts all of that together internally and funds it and puts it out under their label. And you see Netflix doing that as well. Netflix is creating original programming internally to add value to their service. Do you think that there could be a change in how video games are made and it could be more like that? So you have these subscription services that have money to spend that are getting an influx of dollars and rather than just acquiring games for their service that already exist that they are literally funding the games and so it becomes more like you know you're pitching you're pitching to one of these services to create a video game that's a that's a fascinating question to chew on because I, so let's let's dig into that a little further, which is that one of the things – there's some things we sort of move through quickly. Like first of all, you've got the role of the executive producer in here who's got to line up both the, the money for this and then also kind of build a happy house of all the people who can work together from the screenplay writer to the casting director to the actual director to make this whole little thing work so that the whole show comes together. And, you know, uh, you, you oftentimes hear if you read variety, you know, how important the showrunners are to these things. And the showrunners are oftentimes the keeper of this so-called sacred flame, right? That are trying to get the, the, the crystal of the show to where like when the, in the how, when that 44 minutes comes on at the, on your screen or whatever, that it's actually what the hell everyone was trying to work towards. Right. I don't know if that movie model works, but maybe the television model works, but it would be a really weird thing. Imagine a world then. So, you know, the way a lot of television gets made is that uh, studios are constantly working with the various producers and creative types to create pilots. And we don't even see most of them, right? The pilots are like, are walked around uh, various places in LA and they're shown to people and maybe they get a test audience or maybe they don't. Maybe there's an interesting model there of like, imagine, uh, oh gosh, like think of how many games, how many games would have or would have not been made if we go back to the old sort of three and a half inch demo disc day. But instead of the three and a half inch demo disc day, the three and a half inch demo disc was the pilot. And if the pilot gets approved, then it goes into full production 
on your Xbox Game Pass because now Microsoft, I mean, imagine a whole world where Microsoft has like, here's the five game, here are five games that are all have pilots. Tell me which one you like and we'll put it in production. That's a wild idea. I mean, it's it's hard because game the, the making of games is so different than the making of of it is, and that's such a media. big point. So the so the problem you'd run into here is that you would need to have games that are to some degree formulaic and also reliant on engines. So this is where you know, like big time engines like Unreal and Unity allow you know potentially allow some ability to do this down the line if right. you were able as a developing house to put together a great set of tools so that your workflows were able to turn content on a relatively crisp schedule and you know this is what got telltale eventually in, in trouble is that we we were all led to believe that that is no problem they got this all figured out they're just cranking it out and meanwhile as we learned from the developers afterwards they, yeah the reason they were cranking it out is they were cranking all the time they were on constant crunch and that's yeah. not sustainable I think we've you'll also see, you know, the Fortniteification or whatever. You know, a lot of these games will look to other monetary avenues to remain successful or profitable. And TV and film isn't necessarily like that, right? It's not like if you enjoyed watching the first few episodes of Fleabag, you can pay $2 and now Fleabag is wearing a different sweater, <laughs> you know, like, and I think games will lean more into that while they won't be free to play because you'll be paying for the service, like the, whatever it is, a Stadia or whatever, there will be other monetization on top of those things that developers look to, to, I mean, I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine a David Cage game where you get to the end and it's like, okay, for $2, would you like to see all the scenes you missed? <laughs> i can that sounds like a great <laughs> I, I can't so i can from a publisher standpoint but from a david cage standpoint he would be he would throw his arms up and scream at you if he said that yeah but he also throws his arms up and screams at his employees it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh I yeah find it's, my pop it's, screen. <laughs> it's fascinating i mean it seems like you know this is a lot of us theorizing and conjecture so it, it, you know take it with a grain of salt and also it should be noted that when Microsoft was talking about, you know, a lot of their games going to other platforms, they did still say, oh, something like Outer Worlds, which they acquired Obsidian to publish. Uh, we think that its sequels may end up being exclusive to our box. So, you know, they're still talking in traditional terms now. I just think I just think all the indicators are there for it to be transferred into being more of a services industry and more of we are a, just having fun and navel gazing here right we i didn't yeah. we're, come on i'm not michael pactor no 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 no. <laughs> none of us none PUBG, of us are, PUBG has nothing ah. to fear <laughs> PUBG has nothing to fear uh all right uh we got more stories to talk about that's just the first one uh but that's what happens when you first get one two. we did two yeah uh, that's kind of two I, I, I did that segue thing no, it's well done. Uh, you are the master, true, true master of segues. Uh, but I need to segue now into our advertisement. Uh, and I'm so pleased by this advertiser. I love that Third Love sponsors us because Third Love is a bra company. And if you find yourself in need of a bra or have a loved one who is in need of a bra, I highly recommend checking out Third Love. It is actually totally converted my wife that she's only interested in ever wearing third love bras at this point. And why? Because as she reports to me, it is the most comfortable bra she has ever worn. She loves them. Uh, and 
the reason for that is because third love makes bras differently than, than everybody else. Uh, they're very concerned with the perfect fit. They have more sizes than most other brands. They have more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Um, most places don't do the half cup, but it is, uh, it is much, much more likely for you to find the size that's right for you. And the way you do that is even revolutionary with third love. They have this thing called the Fit Finder Quiz. It's just a few simple questions, and you find your perfect fit. They say it's even fun. My wife said it was pretty fun. Uh, over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date, which means they're able to perfect it and make sure that it results in the absolute best fitting bra that they can they can possibly give to you. Uh, and it takes less than a minute to complete it. It it helps you define your breast shape which is super important when finding a good fit, not just your breast size. And they have, uh, they have the, the data and the reports from uh, their happy customers to prove that people walk away with a much better fitting bra. It feels better. Uh, they're, and, and, and hey, even if you don't end up liking the, the bra you get, every customer has 60 days to wear it wash it and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, if you end up not loving it, you return it and then third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. That's pretty awesome. So there's really, it's a win-win, even if you end up not loving it, which my wife probably can't imagine that she's in love with hers. Uh, it ends up with a woman in need. So that's pretty awesome. So this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll own. And uh, they cost the same, no matter what size you order. Uh, the straps, they don't slip. They're tagless labels for no itching. These are the best bras. Uh, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. If you go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now, you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's Third Love, all spelled out, T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E.com slash DLC. Get you 15% off today. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, I mean, I think since right now we are Ghost, I need to talk about Ghost Games' new game, which was not at E3, was then leaked, and was then revealed not right now at Gamescom, but at a trailer the week before game. Weird timing is all I'm saying. While EA had a presence at at E3, this was not there, maybe to give Star Wars... if you you can imagine with a uh, you know just a one of the un, unknown franchises. This is a franchise <laughs> that no one has heard of. There's never been a big major motion picture based on it. It doesn't have years what you, and what, years and years of iteration. Yeah, what is it? So it's Need for Speed. Need for Speed Heat was revealed. It's due November eighth. It's from Ghost Games, who are former Criterion folk. I believe at least I believe some are still there as kind of the pedigree. And it's this idea of. Um, you're in Miami. It looks like there's you're kind of an illegal street racer. You're trying to take back the the town and also run from cops and take down um, rival racers and things like that. Kind of things that Need for I've Speed. I've never heard this before. Right, Need for Speed <laughs> has done before, but 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 there is quote no loot boxes in Need for Speed Heat, and there won't be. No loot crates, no surprise mechanics, kind of using their own words, nothing. So it'll be a more traditional DLC model, car packs, time save packs, stuff like that. Are we excited for Needs for Speed again? 
in Need for Speed, is a surprise mechanic uh, the guy who works on your car, but you didn't see him coming? Yes, it's like you get back in your car and you're like, oh, I have turbo. It's a surprise mechanic. <laughs> hey, surprise, I did, I did some upgrades <laughs> on your car. Oh, thanks, surprise mechanic. It uh, looks pretty. Uh, all their games do, but I don't know if it has the pop to kind of differentiate itself. But I, I feel like... that's why they buried it. <laughs> would it, it be so, so hard to just pull out the old design doc for Paradise and make a damn new one? Apparently, <laughs> yes. Think, I mean, would it be so hard? Why... Come on, man! Why you got to keep flailing away? Well, you know what we actually want. We've, we've, we as gamers have told you over and over what we want. We leave Forza to Forza, leave uh, the crew to the crew, and leave Gran Turismo to Gran Turismo. But we loved Paradise. We just, just do it again. Just do it. You burn out so, Paradise is what you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. Here's the Hobby. here's the quote which I I did not read. So this is kind of their pitch, and you can watch the trailer, which I think is beautiful but kind of problematic in selling the actual gameplay. By day, players compete in the Speed Hunter Showdown, a sanctioned competition where they earn bank to customize and upgrade their garage of high performance cars. At night, players risk it all to build their rep in underground races, where a rogue police task force roams the streets, oh, ready to take Lord. racers down. And swipe all their earnings. The roads, the risks, and the rides have... <clears throat> I can't do that voice for too long. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We don't need to hear all that. You, you know Speed I, Hunters, I, by the way, is, is a uh, license. It's a good license. I mean, it's a good license for this. It's just that what we need is we need a different dynamic. We need more. Pl- we need different and more interesting play modes. There's no reason to go after this silly stuff you've done before. Unless you can really do it an amazing way. And I don't, I don't see that happening. Well, what about this other angle that there are no loot boxes? This is Christian's still killing. I can't do it. It's like the cheat in a world. I, it's too. I can't. It's in a the, world. Fry. The, uh, give me, give me that copy. I'll get it to you. <laughs> there you go. He's already in a world guy. The, uh, the idea that there are no loot boxes from EA, who the king of surprises and, and you know, <laughs> between FIFA and uh, you know, the, a lot of the franchises use these kind of things. Is this significant that here is a top tier EA franchise not doing this anymore? Is that are we is it the end of loot boxes for EA? What do you think? Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's absurd that they're advertising a game for not having something that is like manipulative and already, hey, you know what else we don't have in here? We don't have anything that will make your wife leave you. It's amazing. <laughs> they can't say that, though, because. I mean, it's know. just nuts. It's like we don't have bad things in here. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. There's also no uh, there's nothing in here that will uh, root your console. We will also no not- arsenic. <laughs> no arsenic. We promise no arsenic in our game. But do you know what uh, they don't say isn't in here? They might send someone to your house to punch you in the crotch. So that mm, might still yeah. be in it. Call back. Um, so here it goes, Christian. Here we go. How about this? In a world where street racers have gathered to make their names known. By day, players compete in the Speed Hunters Showdown, a sanctioned competition where they earn bank to customize and upgrade the garage of high-performance cars. But at night, players risk it all to build their rep in underground races where a rogue police task force roams the streets, ready to take racers down. I think we should have a game that's just uh, an in-a-world showdown. Is there a... (laughs) In-a-world where... In a world is said by three different people on the same podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Man, well, let me that story. They, they're still going to give you DLC. They're still going to end up selling uh, time save packs, which is basically: uh, Did you buy this game and not want to play it? Oh God! So we're going to play. We're going to play that cutting. We're going to play that cutting line where we don't have loot boxes, but we do have DLC. Yeah. I mean, we do have uh, we do have microtrans. Come on, man! Come on, man! How much does it cost to get the? You beat the game. 
you know what I mean? Like for a hundred dollars, they'll give you the achievement. You beat it. I mean, look, I think, I think the reason that we all lament all this stuff is need for speed, at least for me, holds a very special spot for many yes. games that I played that I absolutely freaking adored. Not the least of which was hot pursuit, which is, so, I mean, I'm feeling some of that coming through here. It's like, guys, if you're going to do one of these games, if you're going to do a need for speed game, it needs to be really something special. And when I get the first marketing blast and it, it consists of, it doesn't have bad things in it. And it sounds like the same thing we've done before. That's not making it happen for me. Yeah. They've struggled. I mean, from the run to, you know, like the, I think the run was a very narrative based. You're out of your car for sections. Yeah. You remember that? Oh, that was, that worked well. It's, it seems like something that Forza and Forza Horizon are in their rhythm of. And, for whatever reason, Need for Speed can't find their footing as to what they want to be in, in a way that excites players. And, and I agree with you, Garnet. It is very sad because Need for Speed for me is has the fondest of places in my heart um, for one of those franchises that was goat tier for so long. And it has floundered now for probably, sure. I don't know, close to a decade or in my head, five years. And, and the funniest <laughs> thing is, like, you know, like, like look, racing games are... Uh, they're, they are they are what they are. There is probably some very limited room as edge cases to innovate in them still, but we, we've hit on some really awesome play mechanics. And so you can go back and look at a long, like 20 plus years of awesome racing games. And if you have a good designer, they can look at these game design docs. They can see all the things that players really like. And many of these games over the last 20, 15 years, you've had telemetry to know like, hey, here's what players really liked. Here's what they really enjoyed. Here's all the things people talked about on community boards that they really liked and put together in a nearly, I dare say, a nearly perfect execution of this game, and yet you're sort of flailing around going, well, we're just going to do our own thing with new licensing and not having loot boxes. Yeah, I, I don't, that's got to be a genre that's that's hard when you're spinning up a new game. Like, what else can we do? <laughs> we have very accurate cars that look real good in places that are real pretty going very, very fast. That's what people want. I don't. You know, there's open world and all that stuff or the some of the things that people have tried. I would take a I would take a Ridge Racer, I would take an R four remake or an Why? R4 just because of the spiritual. name. No, did you ever play Ridge Racer R four type? No, God, I, dude, it's so know, fun. It's guy. like so the thing about Ridge Racer was that you had so Ridge Racer was obviously super arcade and you had three car types. So you had three racing types, you had grips, uh you had grip in between and you had power slide. And so each team had like the cars that they specialized in, and then there was like an entire storyline around each team that you raced it. It, it. it was like if you're gonna go into that sort of realm of making it like like Need for Speed sort of had an arcade-ish, like to give it that's another way. Just you gotta inject identity into these things. You have to give players something that like makes them want to come back to the game and when they put it away at night they're like i can't wait to get back to tomorrow because i want to race this i mean i'm not a racing guy in real life i'm not in love with cars don't love racing games but what i would want to see is much more of a car game as action game you know like a like Mm. some sort of uh uh like what the what the fast and the furious franchise is for movies where it's like yes it's a car, but it's just an excuse for a cool car action sequence. You know, it's an action sequence through the prism of car. Yeah. All right. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on my story of the week because we have we have talked about the, the best ones. But I did want to highlight the fact uh, that we're getting news that WoW Classic, which releases uh, very soon, August 27th, um, and they've already uh, allowed you to reserve your in-game name, character names, 
Well, Blizzard is reporting that they're going to give you the truly authentic, classic <laughs> Warcraft experience because I was there. Uh, I guess what two, the first 12. 2004 was that when it first came out? Uh, I was there on day one, sitting in a queue, waiting to log in, hoping I get I get to play tonight. And it sounds like that's what Warcraft Classic is going to offer as well. At least one server uh, will have 10,000 players in, in queue. Uh, they're saying login queues in excess of 10,000 players, possibly much higher than that. Um, this is the Herod realm. I was on Blackhand back in the day. My server was Blackhand when I first played WoW f- Vanilla first time. And uh, I just find this uh, very, very funny because... Um, you know, that's the classic WoW experience in the classic way. They're giving you that day one World of Warcraft. And I, I was there on day one, and that's what it was like sitting in long queues. So I guess a lot of people oh, are really excited. The server will go down and you won't be able to play for two yeah. weeks. Exactly. <laughs> While they replace the hardware. We're sorry. We didn't know there was Dude, they – I remember very vividly they pulled the game from store shelves because they couldn't keep up with the demand. Yeah. And so they stopped selling it for a little while. Uh, you remember there were twelve, so there were there were literally twelve realms, and the boxes that because this was back in the day when you know if you're running a, a, a massive multiplayer game, you actually built your own colo server. Yeah. So you went into a rack and and built out your servers, and they were like, "Wow, we are, we just got crushed. We need to do something." And it was just it was yeah. a mess. So anyway, I find that a little bit little bit funny and uh, ironic and appropriate all at the same time. Um, but uh, clearly, a lot of people want this experience or think they do. I'm still. I'm still skeptical that people will play it for any long stretch because the game has genuinely improved in lots of very obvious ways. And I I think that a lot of the people that want that nostalgia experience aren't actually going to love it, but I'm sure there are a lot of hardcore that will. Um, But I'm going to be surprised if, if it stays this popular, but who knows? All right. Well, let's talk about the games that we have been playing now in a segment we call the playlist. Garnet Lee, man of leisure, man of summer. Uh, what has taken your game time this summer? What, what are you what, what are you playing? What you've been playing? So, I want to go back seven years to the year two thousand and twelve. So, year two thousand and twelve, there was a very interesting game that came out that I very very few people saw. It was called Teleglitch. Hmm. Now, Teleglitch was a really, really interesting game that was a twin stick shooter, and it's uh, it's little, uh, it's it's unique uh, twist on this. It was top down, sixteen uh, bit graphics sort of thing. But its unique twist was that as you ran around through the top down environment of this uh, space station, you could only see uh, from your character's perspective that which you would have been able to see in the environment, e.g. Uh, like anything that would cast a shadow would cast a dark spot and you wouldn't be able to see around corners. And, you know, you're like exploring this maze and part of the fun of exploring the maze is trying to sneak around and get ways to see and, and where you're going. It was very frenetic action and obviously things happen very fast. There were some other things too. It was very much like Doom also at the same time. But the, the key I'm going to there is that there's a great game on Switch you might have heard of that you guys have probably talk, spoken about to death because it's freaking fantastic yeah. called Ape Out. And one of the most fun parts of Ape Out is it has that same mechanic, and it's really fun to tweak, to tweak and play around with, especially when you combine Ape Out with its like uh, sort of you know beatnik jazz soundtrack. I, I have so much fun with this game. As a matter of fact, I have a ton of fun playing with my Switch in general. The Switch is like, you know, I, I didn't. I, I have to like eat crow here because I know that I was probably uh, 
quoted many times were wondering what the hell the switch was going to be about well well i guess i figured it out the switch is about having a thing you can pick up at any time and have freaking bloody awesome gameplay right in your yeah. hand it's it's amazing it's it's and i don't know why it delivers it for me better than where the whole vita and psp thing went but it does i can't i mean i've tried to actually assess it and maybe it's just that those guys laid the groundwork and when switch came along it was ready i think there's also a, a degree of uh sophistication that's happened amongst engines so you know now we're able to very quickly get unity games over to uh to, to the switch and the, and the level of power that the switch has but man about so about one of those games that for me has been fantastic simply because it's sit down it's play it's have a blast with it it's very quick it's in and out uh it's like you just drop in you can play you can have a good time with it when you're when you're dying you're still having fun when you're succeeding you're having even more fun and sometimes just the weirdest silliest stuff happens and that's i mean if you're gonna pick up a game just have fun and like just go woo, that was fun i think it's like i, think it I it. couldn't agree more it, it, it is in the top two or three games that i've played all year still and uh, i would be shocked if it doesn't make my top five of the year i think the game is a work of art i think the game is brilliant and fun and visceral and as you said uses music and percussion in a way that is unique and spectacular i absolutely second everything you say ape out is a must play for switch owners i think great great game and, and it's easy, and you know, before I like turn the mic over because I know I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm hogging the mic so much. I Not at all, I had, dude. You're our guest. I didn't realize I had so much to say. Apparently, Please. I have a lot to say. Uh, like the other thing is, Switch is like really helping me. So one of the things I'm like doing is I'm like like pulling together my, uh, you know, experience over the last several years and thinking about like what do I want to do with games and how do I want to like use the experience I've gained to help you know the game, help better games get made and and players have more fun stuff to do. Is that I'm really interested in this whole idea of how the place how, how the platform you're playing on or where you're playing and the play session that you have relates to what you're playing as a game and by that i mean about is awesome because you pick it up and you can have a short playstation a play session or you can have a moderate play session i've never really sat down and played about for like more than 40 to 45 minutes right because it's just it's that sort of like there's at some point you're kind of like okay i've been doing this and it's fun and i think it's, it's almost intense sort of too it's an intense experience that is hard to do for over a long period of time there's an there's like a sweaty palm that's right breath breath you know breakneck like running being chased and it, it is fatiguing exactly and then and then the other thing is i think that also since it is, and I love this about these sort of games, is that it's very pure to its art aesthetic and to its mechanic. And it doesn't feel the need to add on layers of depth to extend that experience, which is what happens to, there's a sort of, like, where I'm going with all of this is that I feel like there's a sort of mid-ground of games that are in a sort of weird, difficult situation. And that is that they have sort of built a game and for whatever reason, whether it's production or publisher expectations or whatever it has, they've built around a really queer crystal of like, here's our game idea, here's our mechanic, here's what we want players to do. And then someone says, well, but we got to make this game last a lot longer. There's got to be more to it than that, right? So can we add a, uh, we add a, you know, a user-generated content system? No, it doesn't fit here. Or can we, can we add a, you know, some sort of light character development system? Not if it doesn't apply. And so that's the, you know, the, that's the middle ground that doesn't work for me. Because then, and this is funny because I would not have expected the Switch to work so well for this. One of the other games I've been playing a lot is uh, Dragon Quest Builders. Right. Not, n not 
the sequel is out and has been sell, I guess sold two million copies already or something crazy. Um, but you're you're talking about the original, the original. And you know, I looked at the sequel and I actually played around with it and I decided I don't like it as much because of the, the different emphasis on combat. What I'm and I and maybe it's also just because I haven't dove, dove into it as far. But I'm in the spot with uh, Dragon Quest Builders where I can. I have my choice of what I want to do when I sit down to play with it. I can just sit down and play it like Minecraft and it's still freaking awesome and fun, or I can play the quest, but it's not demanding of me at any time. It's, it's sort of a, Hey Garnet, what would you like to do today? Take as much of it as you'd like and take it on your schedule. I would love to see more of that. I would love to see like, as, as the, as if you're going to invest the money to build a giant game, I would love to see games that have that sort of Skyrim level of, here are all the diverse things in the world that you can do and all the places that you can go along with like a Stardew Valley level of, or, 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 you know, same thing as Dragon Quest Builders level of, I can just sit down, come into the game today and, and, and have my influence in my little world the way I want to, whether that's, I don't know, going out and collecting lupines or whatever it might be. And I, I think that those two, those are the two ends of this sort of game. And obviously there's lots of other games. We're not talking about Fortnite sort of games. We're not talking about massively multiplayer, but just, just for this, this sort of world of traditional gaming of single player, sit down and play games. Uh, I think that the, that the short experience, the short to quick experience, that's very beautiful, very quick, very uh, driven by like, here's an art aesthetic. Here's something we want to communicate with you. And here's our mechanic, or here's a lot of stuff you can do but we're not going to hold your hand or drag you through it at any rate. And we're also going to give you the ability to play it at your leisure. I, I love being able to play at my leisure. That's yeah. what I guess I was saying. I love that, that ability. How often do you play your switch docked? Uh, that's a great question. What would, what would you guys think the answer is? Mine is, is approaching zero. So that's for me. So I, I have a hard time imagining anybody playing theirs docked because I just never do. Mine isn't approaching zero. It is literally at zero. <laughs> and, yeah. and and part of that also is I got one of these great grips and I forget which grip I got, but I got the grip that it like slots in from the top and you have these great handholds on the side. Yeah. And, and I bought it for Diablo three, which by the way, I still think I've been playing Diablo three like every so often anyway, just because like, wh- how can you not? Uh, but it, it's like, it's perfect for that. Right. And uh, it's just, it makes it like this perfect little single player experience where you just sit down, you have fun with it. It's like right here. I got my thing in my hand. I can, I can take it up to bed with me. I can walk back down. I can, I can grab it in the morning while I have coffee. It's like, it's just, it's perfected for that. And if I want to, and I, you know, honestly, I've not turned on my big consoles that often, but if I want to, I mean, why, if I'm going to hook up to my 4k television, am I not going to want to use a device? Like I want to want to see like, you know, I want to see Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you're sitting down for something that's ah, not. Yes, sorry. Uh, and, and by the way, AJ guy, seven 11 has it. The satisfy grip. Yes. That is exactly what I have. It's freaking awesome. That satisfy grip. I have, I don't get a damn dollar from them, but I really, really, really like it. It's the same one I have to be honest as well. Um, Christian, I don't think you're at zero for docked, right? You're still, you still play docked, but I, I kind of feel like what Garnet and I have been talking about is good evidence that Nintendo's on the right track for making a switch that don't switch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine's docked right now. Uh, I played docked to earlier. Charge today. it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I play docked fairly often, but I also think my use case is, you know, it's what docked is, is playing couch co-op, right? So my kids and I will play Mario Kart or Splatoon, or they'll, when one is playing, the other will want to see and while they'd be happy to play handheld mode, then personally, it gets annoying when the other 
and their siblings like, oh, I can't see. <laughs> and they're kind of wrestling with each other to get a view. So then I'm like, stop, 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 stop. We can put it up on this big TV. Everyone can see. We can just pass a controller. And certain games, I think, work really well on the big screen and others, I think, work better in handheld mode. But I, I don't. I don't have the aversion that it seems like uh, you and Garnet do, Jeff, to like, if I'm going to be sitting on my couch, I may as well play something on my PS4 or Xbox. It's if I'm going to be, what experience do I want? What game am I going to play? And if it is on my Switch, I have no problem playing that on my TV like, as I would in the game. I feel you on that. But you know what You know what would make it 100 times better for me, Christian, is if instead of having to put it in some dumb dock or whatever, I could just do like I do with YouTube and punch a button and have a little app that runs on my TV or whatever, and it just, like, boom, casts it up there. I want to be able to cast it up there. I don't want to have to go and put the physical hardware somewhere and mess with all that. I'll be able to just, like, punch a button and boom, it's on my screen. Google yeah. Stadia coming this fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, mean, truth, I don't disagree. It really ought to be that way. I mean, come on. It's 2019, y'all. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. And it's about to be that way. <laughs> it's literally about to be that way. Um, what? Anything else you've been playing, Garnet? Uh, well, I told you I was playing. So I did actually include this. Have you guys checked out Sky from that game company on iOS? For like five I, minutes. Yeah. What, okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. They overshot the platform by infinity. You cannot, <laughs> check, you cannot check that game out for five minutes and remotely get what's going on in it. Uh, hats typically but there's a great i did not intend to I mean, it work out this well but this is exactly what we're talking about player session and platform and it is it is a spectacular execution it probably has one or two probably has one layer too many layers of of design avenues for players to explore and by that i mean uh, there's this idea of ascension and then there's this ability to like chat and interact and exchange expressions with players and then there's this like general thing where you're like raising spirits up into like the heavens to rebuild the constellations and it's 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 a lot to deal with and then i mean they also break the cardinal rule that i have which is they use the on-screen thumbstick thing yeah, yeah. i hate that I, I think that you know if you have an opportunity where you're going to have you know, time to sit down with your iPhone. It, first of all, if you like Flower and you like Journey, this game pulls elements from both of those. And if you have time to sit down and play it for a meaningful amount of time on your first go, and I mean, because on your first go, you need to get into the game. Uh, it's it's very much like Genova typically does. It doesn't he doesn't hold your hand a lot. Instead, it allows you to poke around the nooks and crannies of the game and it sort of uh, explains itself because the it, everything is very self-evident and you really get the hang of it and you get the hang of it by doing it it's so elegant in the way it does that and i adore that that plus you know the atmospheric touches that that game company has makes this a i mean it makes it a amazing achievement as a game uh it really it, it I just I can't it needs to imagine. be on Switch. It needs to be on Switch, yeah. and I'll play it. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I can't believe I can't believe people like yeah. I just can't believe like I get why you want to be on iOS. It's because there's so many people who have iPhones in their hands. But to me, it's such a miss on platform because it's just it's not the place where players are going to get to my mind are going to do that. I mean, and that said, you know, obviously there's people playing Fortnite on their, on their mobiles. Uh, there's people playing PUBG on their mobiles. There's all kinds of like bigger games that people play there. But I think that, you know, the predominant and predominant by a long shot model of the way people play uh, iPhone games is in quick, short bursts. You know, it's the reason that Reigns is so popular. Like the reason Reigns was so great for me is like, boom, you in, you know, flip cards back and forth, Tinder mechanic, way, way you go. Right. 
So yeah. I, I would say that if you have a Windows machine and you're interested, it's also available on Windows. I'm sure it's going to be out on other platforms. And I would be uh, very eager to see how it performs when it comes to console because it's it's really cool. And the sort of, uh, remember how you had those experiences and journey where you ran into other players and it was yeah. just sort of, the, okay, it gets that over again, but it gets mm-hmm. that over amped up about three times. So there's a lot of beautiful, awesome game in here. Uh, it's just, I don't think it's on the, I don't think that they, that the cell phone or the iPhone is the right place for it right now. So there you go. I agree. I, I you know, I'm as big a gamer as anybody. And I, I just have no desire to game these kinds of experiences on my phone. I, I'll play a, you know, I'll play like a turn-based, you know, strategy thing on my phone. I'll do, you know, I'll do Slay the Spire or something on my phone perhaps, but I don't want a virtual sticks. I don't want something that I have to be. Oh God, it's so frustrating. To yeah, it's not. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, but I would play that. I would play this game if it came to Switch. <laughs> so. I would say if you have, and, and, and you know, if you find yourself at some point in time with twenty or thirty minutes where you have a, a good charge on your battery and can play around with it, and you still have it on your phone, get through the first part of it just to like see, just because so, it, you know, in the first 30, 45 minutes or so, you'll get a, a good overview of everything that's happening. You'll hit a couple of of key moments that explain. The, mm open up some more stuff and it's really beautiful christian spicer speaking of beautiful i know you've been playing a game that i have hovered over the buy button on steam a few times and haven't pulled the trigger but i have heard quite beautiful things about yeah two games to talk about here for a little bit the first and that you are uh, alluding to is a game called a short hike it is on pc and mac and i believe linux as well it's also on steam if, if that's your preferred digital storefront and it it uh I air quote, you know, finished it in in one sitting. But when you achieve the objective that the game kind of gives you as the ultimate objective, there's still um, more to do and and kind of explore this space. And it is short, maybe two hours, two two and a half hours for me. I mean, short is in the name. So it is. It is in the name. (laughs) This game is stunning. It is absolutely beautiful and such a wonderful experience so it's polygonal um but it has kind of a pixel aesthetic put on top of it and what you're doing without spoiling any of the kind of unfolding of what's happening is you're exploring this mountain area town and it feels a little like fez in the sense that it kind of you know it's not huge it's not a skyrim mountain um it kind of pivots around as you walk around this area um, and I, while not the exact style of Fez, it kind of gave me that feeling. And it, so it's kind of like take the exploration, but reduced, miniaturized of Breath of the Wild and the cute talking animals of Animal Crossing and put them together in a short um, indie game with wonderful music. And that's what a short hike is. There's, you can spend time fishing. It's got a great fishing mini game that I think I caught 15 fish so far. I'm not sure how many are in the game. Um, There's exploration and kind of finding things that you can dig up and shortcuts and taking, you know, water to certain places to do this, that, and the other, and just talking to the other animals and creatures on um, this town, this, this, I guess, national forest or park that you're exploring. The writing is excellent. It's really um, whimsical and fun and and satisfying and kind of those interactions and just being in this world was 
um, so uplifting and, and, and created so much joy. It was such a wonderful experience to spend time kind of living in, in this environment and interacting with these characters and the way the aesthetic and the music all pull it together. It is one of the most joyous experiences I've had playing games this year. And while I wish it could have stayed longer, and I'm sure I will go back and do more fishing and more exploring and stuff like that, the the length of the experience and being able to um, have the moment that the game kind of drives you toward for me in one sitting, kind of like the way I played Journey, um, was such a wonderful experience where it felt very self-contained and kind of this 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 wonderful narrative arc and also experience of visiting this world. Um, I think it's eight bucks. Um, I I cannot recommend it enough. It it is absolutely phenomenal, Jeff. You need to you need to take the plunge. Well, I'll be honest with you. This again, this is called a short hike, and uh, I mentioned that I hovered over it several times on Switch. Can I be super honest and say the reason I, I don't didn't, think it's on Switch on Steam? I, I meant to say Steam. Excuse me, on Steam. I wasn't wouldn't be hovering on Switch anyway. Well, I guess I could anyway. Yes, I was on Steam and I almost purchased it. And honestly, the reason that I did not is the Animal Crossing comparison. I read huh. somebody else make the Animal Crossing comparison and I was like, oh. So it doesn't have the grind of Animal Crossing where it's like you're constantly collecting fruit to, you know, build up your house and make your farm wonderful or anything like that. There's none of that in the game. The Animal Crossing comparison, I think, is the interactions you have with the other inhabitants of this um, park of this area and kind yeah. of the way they communicate. And there's a couple of side quests that you do, but it has similar to Breath of the Wild's climbing mechanic. You can climb, I think, anything in the game, but you have stamina. And so mm-hmm. doing some of the side quests will unlock um, greater stamina so you can climb higher and longer. Um, and so that's where those interactions come in. But in terms, I mean, it's like I said, two hours, two and a half hours. It's not as if you're out grinding, picking up apples for right. two of those hours and then the last half hour is climbing. It's meeting new characters and they'll kind of tell you about what they're doing. Um, yeah, don't don't make you think that if you put the game down, you'll come back and the, your your town will be overrun with cockroaches. It's not that type of Animal Crossing. Yeah, and I, I to be honest with you, I, I know this is going to be a heresy to Animal Crossing fans who are listening, but I've often found the interaction. I'm listening. <laughs> I've often found the interactions in Animal Crossing to be banal and kind of oh, so okay. sort of like my interactions with you—is that what it's like? <laughs> Perhaps. God. Uh, so anyway, I will give it. If a I ever sell you any of my fine rugs, <laughs> a short hike, uh, Christian. What else you've been playing? Yeah, short hike is phenomenal. Don't let Jeff's dislike for Animal Crossing turn you off of a short hike. I think it is phenomenal. Um, the other game I'm playing is on Switch. I was provided a code. It's called Exception. And it is a 2D platformer where you are inside a computer. Kind of the narrative, I guess, hook for it is this woman um, clicks to get free software and it's a virus. You know, we've all been there, done that. And you're kind of trying to root it out and, and I guess get this laptop back working functionally. But the actual gameplay itself, picture something like N+, not in terms of difficulty, but like your player, your avatar scale to the size of the level. And it's a 2D platformer where the objective is to just get to the end. The the glowing thing that you touch that ends the level. Most levels are maybe 30 to 45 seconds to run through. 
But it's kind of hook that I think is interesting is while it is a 2D plane, um, you can't always just get right to the end. You kind of have to traverse the level and you will hit a glowing orb that then will change the level, either turn it upside down or sideways or pieces will kind of transform around each other so that you're still on a 2D plane, but now the level has been shifted so that what was the ceiling is now the floor and you have to contend with those enemies or those obstacles to then traverse. And you hit like three or four of those, the level shifts on you three or four times and then you progress to the end. And so I really think that that is, I think it was also made by one person, which is just, you know, blows my mind. Um, I really like this kind of 2d it it has enemies that you you know you have like a blue light sword or whatever you're taking down the enemy combat is not something that is an impediment in your progress Um, they're kind of just there for fodder and to help guide your path as you're traversing these levels and while i really really like the idea of you touch these orbs and the levels kind of shift a little bit and the ceiling becomes a floor or, or a new wall for you to wall run on or something like that what I wish it did, and, and I have not reached the credits of this game, so maybe it does, but from what I've seen, it has not done this. I wish there was some puzzle mechanic in that. Like, by doing this, you then had to go back and do this and then go back to that again to shift it a new way. So it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, you know, that you're trying to figure out. In my playthrough, it's been very linear where it's just get to this node, the level switches, and then you get to the node, the level switches, you get to the node, the level switches, and then you get to the end node. And that's kind of all there is to the transforming. So while it's cool and fun and visually interesting to see, you know, now you're on the wall that used to be the ceiling and how the, the level kind of inceptions on itself or whatever, like the cityscape folding over, it doesn't seem to impact gameplay much as if it could be similar as if it was one long level, right? Like you just traversed across this longer 2d plane instead of having the level flip over uh upon itself but it controls well it plays well it's i think for as garnet talked about the a game that fits on the switch really well i believe it's also on other platforms but in terms of you can pick it up pull it right out of sleep mode run through a couple of levels it really encourages time trialing on levels and it shows you how fast you did it and kind of that replayability i fit i think it fits the system really well did you use multiple catch blocks I don't know what that question means. <laughs> Little elegant exception handling joke from C Sharp. Oh. <laughs> well, I am nice. C dumb because I did not get that. <laughs> this is what this is what happens after you do a little uh, turn as developer relations on a game engine. Sorry, it's all I can think about. Yeah, it's an interesting twist on the name. I mean, that's kind of fun. I get it. It's like exception handling. It's all about error handling. And that's why that's why obviously the levels change and flip like that. It's it's kind of fun what this uh what the creative like spark here is of this game. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it is. And and uh, pretend that I made that really clever association that Garnet made. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, you, I would not have known it had I not done developer relations on game engines and had to learn way more about this stuff than I wanted. To. Well, actually, <laughs> learned a lot about it that I turned out. It was really interesting to learn, but it's like, whoa, man, making games is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my playlist has stuff that I've talked about already on in previous episodes, but I'm still hooked on them. Children of Morta and Nowhere Profit, both phenomenal games that should be on your radar, both smaller games that deserve lots of attention. So log those in your head. Children of Morta, which comes out September 3rd. Nowhere Profit is out now. I'm playing them both on Steam, and they are both just utterly awesome games that will probably be talked about at the end of the year for me because they're some of the best experiences that I've had this year. 
But mostly what I've been playing is VR. All right, so last week I was bouncing off the walls so excited about No Man's Sky because the Beyond update was shipping on Wednesday with VR support, full unfettered VR support, wall-to-wall, not just a special mode, the whole game in VR on both PlayStation VR and PC. Uh, The PlayStation version launched Wednesday early and the PC version, I was hitting F5 all day long on Steam, waiting, 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 finally it dropped. Uh, I've put a lot of time into uh no man's sky now on my pc inside my valve index and unfortunately this version of the game with vr had a pretty rocky start a lot of pc players noting um inconsistent performance it is got some frame rate issues people lots of lots of reddit threads about tweaking settings and trying to get things mapped maximized and working well i understand rift s users are having a really rough time of it my valve index on my computer that has a 2080 ti so you know i'm not i I have a beefy system very playable uh i have had a really good time playing this game but i have to state that my experience is not typical and your mileage may vary depending on your system i know people playing with other video cards and other uh, headsets have had much more difficult times. And it's a bummer because when it's clicking and going, this is one of the coolest VR experiences available. They really did a great job building in specific VR controls. This is not just a slap job into VR. They really thought it through and added a lot of slick ways to control the game in VR uh, you're, you know, with the touch controllers, with the uh, the knuckles controllers I'm using on my Valve Index, it maps your hands and you have a lot of really cool shortcuts to do things. If you point at the back of each hand, a quick menu will pop up that lets you pull up your inventory really quickly. It's super slick. Um, opening boxes or getting into your spaceship, you grab the, the thing and then yank it up. And it's like, you, you're like pulling yourself into your ship. It's really slick to leave your ship. You reach out and grab the, the, the cockpit hatch and you pull that up and it bamps you out of your ship. Super slick. It all works really, really well. Uh, I'm, I'm on smooth movement and wandering. Around. I can't imagine playing this game on teleportation because there's so much exploration and moving that you do. It just feels like you'd be teleport, 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 teleport. Um, but I, I'm I'm having a great time. And the game looks spectacular too. I'm able to run it on high settings. Uh, the frame rate can get a little choppy, but uh, it hasn't affected me very much. And I'm very fortunate that I have the system to run it. So I'm hoping that they manage to optimize this thing a little better for PCs and open up the experience to more people because I think it's amazing. I, I really do. It, it's, it's great to have the whole game there. You feel the sense of scale. You feel the sense of isolation that no man's sky is sort of built around. There's multiplayer. I haven't really dabbled in the multiplayer so much yet, but I hope to, uh, I'm just having a good time flying around, getting in and out of the ship is amazing. The experience of flying and seeing the, the planet 
shrink beneath you. It, it feels the size and scale of everything just feels so good in VR. And it looks quite good at maximum settings. I know that PlayStation VR owners are talking about how crappy the game looks. Uh, I'm sure a lot of a lot of uh, uh, compromises had to be made to make that thing run on on a PlayStation Four, but in VR. But uh, I have to say, my experience has been pretty darn good, and I hope it can get better as they continue to patch and optimize this thing. Because a lot of people have been shouting negative stuff about it, but. I still don't think it's as good as Subnautica. Uh, both games kind of offer similar experiences. I think Subnautica for me in VR is still the superior experience being underwater and, and moving through water that way. Still better, but man, No Man's Sky in VR is quite something. Yeah, I was very excited to check it out. I ran in uh, to my VR, my PlayStation VR, fired up my PlayStation and uh looked for my no man's sky copy and thought, Oh, did I buy it physical and couldn't find it? I went to the store to redownload it. So I was 25 bucks and I was like, what, why did I? And then realized I bought no man's sky on steam and, uh, I sold my Oculus. So my riff, not my quest. So I was like, can't wait to hear Jeff talk about it. <laughs> you never, you never had no man's sky on PlayStation four, or maybe you got it through Gamefly or something. Maybe I I've have, you know, a home planet on steam, but I, I thought I had it on PlayStation <laughs> four, but I guess not. Man, well, it was the best of worlds. It was the worst of worlds. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. Still waiting. And you can actually take me there now. You can show it to me. Oh, yeah. You can visit uh, my world in VR, except I would not be in VR. Yeah. That's okay. I think I think it still works. Cross, I don't know for sure, but I think so. I think it should. Yeah, cool. You got to come over, Christian. You got to see the index. And, and I, I think you would be impressed with how uh, good No Man's Sky yeah, looks with when you have the system to pu- to push it. I, I just hope that they optimize it and make it better because um, I want more people to experience this because it really is it really is well done. It, it it when you get in your spaceship the first time and you get in that cockpit and then you fly out. You know that No Man's Sky thing where everything is seamless and you take it's so cool, so cool in VR and it, the size and scale of everything feels good. Um, creatures feel you know life size. It's it's awesome. Until it comes to Switch VR, I'm not interested. <laughs> Fair enough. You got that cardboard box ready. <laughs> got that cardboard. Um, the other thing both you and I have played, in fact, we played it together, was a Oculus Quest game called Racket NX. Yes, which has been, I believe, in early access since 2017 or something like that um, for Rift, I think, for Rift, maybe Steam VR. Um, it, but it's new to Quest. And I think having not played it on uh, a tethered system, I think Quest is the way to play it because what Racket NX is, is picture racquetball. But instead of being in a racquetball court, you are in uh, the inside of the Epcot Center Dome. Future racquetball. Future racquetball. So it's it's like like Tron slash pinball slash breakout slash racquetball. Slash big metal thing just fell by me uh yeah all of those things accurately describe it and the freedom of the quest to really spin in 360 um and hit this ball where you need to do you know a la breakout i thought it was an absolutely phenomenal i i I, the single player game i think is really cool i'm not far in it but you know you and i playing multiplayer not just because i beat you um both times you did me twice it's 
it's great. Uh, it 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 is phenomenal, and I think the the weight of like it, it being it, the ball itself is glowing, so it doesn't feel like you're not hitting something. I felt like the rumble of the touch controller um, worked really well. I really 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 enjoyed playing this game. I did too, uh, and it's not what I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be more like a uh, you know more like a Tron disc experience, or more like a you know, Mario tennis or something where I'm trying to hit the ball at you and you're trying to miss it. It really is like racquetball where you're both standing in the same space, shoulder to shoulder, not across from each other. Mm-hmm. And the ball, the ball changes color. It's it, you can only hit it when it's your color. So if I, if it bounces off the wall, it changes color. So if I hit my ball, you know, the ball when it's my color, and hit against the wall. The wall has certain areas that are good that score you points. And then later on areas that are bad and will take away points from you. And I have the opportunity to smack the ball and hit it where I would like to hit it and try to score some points, sort of breakout style where you're hitting things and making them go away. And then it rebounds off the wall, changes color to your color, and you have the opportunity to do the same thing. So we're hitting the ball off the wall, back and forth to each other, like racquetball. Well, like but, off the the Epcot dome, like it's not. Yes, all around. Yes, and 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 there's crazy physics things where the harder you hit it, it will get into this pinball thing where certain sections of that domed wall will give it more momentum, or you know, attach it to the surface of the wall so it ricochets off a bunch of things and gets you extra points, pinball style. It's it's cool. It's clever, and and and. It's a different kind of competitive thing. In fact, you're not even trying to outscore each other. Your scoring points takes away my points. And so it's more of this tug of war. The first one to get to a certain score gets a KO. So if I score points, I take them away from you and we're doing a tug of war over the total point value. Yeah. And you're kind of standing in the center and it, the, the voice chat is the first time I had played a, a multiplayer game on quest. I thought the voice chat worked. Me I could too. hear fine. It worked really well. Um, sharing that space. It was really cool. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a cool experience just in, in VR, in multiplayer at all. And on quest, it's even kind of crazier because the audio that just hovers over your ears and it isn't on your ears. It just feels like someone's, as you said, when we were playing, it's like, I feel like you're talking down and you're above me yeah Um, but uh very fun and it's not a super expensive game um i think it's 20 but i paid like 19 bucks and it's also cross buy so if you have it already on your rift you can you know bring it over to your quest it's racket nx racket nx uh if you have a quest and you have a buddy who has a quest you gotta try it i'm keen now to try more multiplayer games i think there's a few others on quest uh just that experience alone was was super fun yeah. Quest is, by the way, the closest I've come to buying a VR device so far. The Quest? Yes. It's great. It's great. I, come on now. Come on now. Come on now. It's great. What's, what's that What's that chipset that it's got in it again? But, I mean... <sighs> oh, it's woefully underpowered. That's right. Oh, and the screen resolution. It could use more experiences, but the games that are out on it are incredible. And I hope more are coming. Okay, so that... so. I love your argument, Christian, because I do think that what I've seen that's cool about it is the experiences are cool. I cannot get over the fact, though, that I'm buying a very expensive piece of hardware that has a lot of dated kit in it and is still like not like I want I want the uh, accessibility and 
and and franchises of PlayStation VR with the uh, power of Vive and the accessibility and like like you know obviously hands free and and cable free connection of the Quest and we're just not quite there yet. No, it's what you well, mentioned sure. for. It's what you mentioned at the top of the show. It's that last mile, right? It's the last yep. mile of VR, and someone will figure it part. out, and it will change the game. But I applaud you guys for your love and appeal in it because you're like helping keep this like thing like rolling forward. And there are some really, in the, and I, like I said, I love that you went where you went because it is all about the experiences and and the fact that game developers are getting to make some really cool developing developing really cool experiences because now we have a, a device in the Quest that is dedicated to that and appeals to gamers as a console is a very cool thing. And I will also say, if you're playing Beat Saber on Quest, there's no part of you that's like, oh, this needs a bigger processor okay. and it needs to be no, better in some I, way. You know, it is it is a just all, tons of fun. So, yes. And so then again, so there you've got a great developer who did something that's very cool and the aesthetic and the, and the whole experience goes together. Right. I mean, I'm totally down with you. I agree with you 100 percent on that. Yeah. And Vader Immortal, if I when I play it on my PC on my Rift. I immediately see how much better it looks than on the quest. But when I'm playing the quest, I don't think that I'm not thinking okay. that. it's, it's well, done very right. well. Anyway, it is done. Well, I just want more. I want more. I want I, it all. I want more too. I, I need more VR headsets in my world. <laughs> my collection. I am to VR headsets as Garnet Lee is to sneakers. Like, <laughs> <sighs> well, that's, that's dangerous right there, son. Oh, I know it is very dangerous. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Garnet Lee, legend. Yo. Thank you so much for taking the time, sir. It's, awesome. been, it's been so much fun. Like that old blast. times. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? It's freaking fantastic. This is so fun. I forgot I like doing this. What do you know? Well, maybe we'll talk you into it more often. Um, I would be here uh, at, at your leisure. I serve at your leisure, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, in the meantime, tell people where they can keep up with you uh, online. Uh, you can keep up with me on this little thing called the Twitter. Uh, yeah, just it's the easiest place to keep up with me, at Garnet Lee, G-A-R-N-E-T-T-L-E-E. Coming soon to many more exciting places, depending on who decides to uh, pick up my extension contract. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. We, we will we will stay tuned. Have fun, folks. Be good to each other and play games. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Uh, two little things that I can highlight. One, uh, uh, I I guess we're two weeks in. I got to write on a game called Legendary Game of Heroes. It is a mobile game, and what drew me to it was the characters, the art, and the world. And the amount of freedom they gave me to do whatever I wanted with the world in terms of writing something. Um, so as people probably know that do art, art pipeline can take a while. But I got to take a peek far in front of the game and look at some of the characters and art coming to it. And was given the freedom to create a 10-week overarching story that connects these 10 weeks together. And the game itself is not its not a narrative-based game. It's not Uncharted per se. I'm not doing that it is um i guess loosely described as a ccg match three kind of game um but all of the characters have backstory and lore and it was a really interesting world and so i took it and got to adapt my you know take the principle of some of my favorite things growing up comic books serialized tv um and now movies and apply that approach to this game and i get to tell a really fun 10-week story so if you're already playing the game check it out it's in the lore feed um, which you can see kind of cycling through on the top. And uh, I'm not sure where else they're highlighting it right now, but hopefully 
when all said and done, we can put out something else. Cause I think it's a really cool um, story that kind of connects all of these, these weeks together in a fun way. So that's fun and out. And then another thing, Jeff, that people can listen to that's different than this, but similar in that it's kind of about video games, um, kind of in soft launch thingy. But if you on your podcast provider of choice, if you search for control, CTL, CTRL pad um, is another little show we're playing around with where we talk about a singular, each person talks about a singular topic for 10 minutes and we kind of discuss and debate it and people might uh, might dig that. That's right. You and I are doing that uh, along. We've had uh, John Davison. Uh, so all the, all the old friends back the band, Nicole's Zavalich. And it's, had, uh, yeah. And Nicole Zavalich. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, check it out. Control pad, CTRL PAD on your podcast, on Apple podcast, Google podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have been doing story stuff as well on my live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. This is something that I am extremely proud of, and I would be so grateful if you wanted to give me a gift for getting 300 episodes out of this show, then I would humbly request you give The Dungeon Run a shot. It is something I'm extremely proud of, and I would love to keep doing for a long, long time. I'd love there to be 300 episodes of that show as well. Uh, it is a long play Dungeons and Dragons show where we tell a story. And I was just reading a bunch of feedback from, from people. There's a discord channel for the dungeon run where people are like, this is my new game of Thrones. I love it. I love guessing what the, where the story is going to go. I'm so proud of this. The, the people involved, the cast, the production crew, there's an animatronic mind flayer that hosts the show. It's, it's an extraordinary thing. And uh, we have real emotion. We have incredible – the story is incredible considering we are improvising it on the fly. Uh, check it out. You can find it as an audio podcast at uh, – anywhere you get podcasts, uh, the Dungeon Run podcast. Or it's on YouTube if you search for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch us record it live every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Caffeine at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Garnet Lee, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yes. Uh, here are my two suggestions. Number one is uh, if you have Netflix, so many things get uh, swept by so quickly. If you missed or only started but did not finish the Umbrella Academy, get on that. It is. I. I'm just. I loved that series. I don't. I just recently wrapped it up, and I'm actually telling you this because I was guilty of exactly that. I started the first episode, and got through about halfway through the second one. Something else came along, and I went squirrel, and then I came back <laughs> to it. You know, and I came back to it, and, and it really, it really picks up around the fourth or fifth episode, and and it and it's a it's a great run to the end. They're picked up for a second uh, series, second season, which of course, if you know the uh, the books, will be a whole other story. So we're look a lot to look forward to there. And uh, because I got to see them at Red Rocks, and they like just blew me away. If you haven't ever listened to my morning jacket, get on that. Mm. Evil Evil Urges is where you should start. Awesome. Umbrella Academy on Netflix and My Morning Jacket, Evil Urges, the band. Christian Spicer, I believe you're talking about umbrellas as well. I mean, it was inspired by Garnet. Uh, I'm a big fan of like the umbrella chair. You know, it's like the little camping chair, whatever you want to call it. Cool. Have one in your car 
just if you have room in the trunk, just have it. You never know when you're going to need it. Uh, I use mine more often than not where it's like, I'll be out of park. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to sit here on the ground or on this retaining wall. I've got a chair in my car that's like and easy to carry. I'm a big fan and they can save your butt, literally. So just they're cheap. Pick one up, throw it in your car. If you never use it, great. You'll never use it. But I bet you will. I bet you will. Umbrella chair. Nice. This is a listener uh, suggested parting gift. You can send yours to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is going to be long. But it's the 300th episode, and uh, this made me very happy, and I hope you listen to it. Uh, As I said, it's going to be long, but I think it'll be worth it. Hello, downloadable listen chatters. First of all, longtime listener, first-time writer. I'm very excited for episode 300. Fingers crossed for Garnet Lee. Well, guess what? Your fingers worked. Weekend Confirmed was my absolute favorite podcast. I started with the handheld Coleco mini arcade Mrs. Pac-Man when I was around four or five. And since then, gaming has been my beloved hobby my entire life. As life tends to go, things change. I'm 40 now, married, and have a two-year-old, some disposable income, and very little free time. I watched the video game industry grow and change and marveled at things like the rise of online gaming, Twitch, and esports. Along the way, Not everything changed for the betterment of the hobby. We had parts of games being removed and sold as DLC, loot boxes, day one patches to just make games run, unscrupulous CEOs and forum admins, pre-order shenanigans, doxing of press, and the horrible practice of swatting. At some point, it became something I wanted no part of. I realized I couldn't find the fun in much of anything anymore. I just couldn't fire up a game and enjoy it. There was always something baggage attached to it or an ad in my face to buy a new skin or something undesirable. My playtime started declining. Halloween night, 2017, I hung up my controllers. Timing was just right for this decision as the next day I was leaving town for a week to help my mom who was having surgery. That night, I deleted all of my gaming bookmarks, closed forum accounts, unfollowed anything video game related on social media, dumped all my podcasts, except DLC, purely because of the VR segment, and unsubscribed from mailing lists. Being away from the world of gaming was hard, but being in an unfamiliar environment made it easier. When I came back home, I was lost. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Two months went by, and I no longer had any interest in video games. Somehow, 33-plus years of love was completely gone. One night... I was at a friend's house, and we got to talking about board games. We had been dabbling in what we thought were good tabletop games over the years, but it never got serious. We occasionally played things like Apples to Apples, Cards Against Humanity, and Munchkin. My friend had a few really good games that none of us ever played, not even him. Games like Formula D, Descent, and Eldritch Horror. My friend has a five-year-old, and so he picked up King Domino and the quest for El Dorado due to the Spiltus Yaris hoping to play with him in the near future. I suggested we play the quest for El Dorado because I liked the look of it. The art reminded me of the video game Curious Expedition. We had an absolute blast playing the game. It's very simple, but that also meant easy to learn and easy for everyone to strategize. I had no idea I was playing the latest game by famed board game designer Renner Knizia. I came from the world of John Carmack, Hideo Kojima, and Jeff Kanata. 
which side note, it's no way I belong in that sentence. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, that's, that's, I mean, that's, it's fact. Uh, you all heard it here. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the three pillars on the, yeah. <laughs> I found myself launched into an amazing world that I didn't know existed. My timing couldn't have been better. Turns out board gaming is in the middle of a golden age. Instead of rambling on for a few hours about X, Y, and Z tabletop games, I want to impart just the idea that perhaps beyond the glitz of the graphics and the excitement of downing the boss, that maybe the best part of gaming is sharing it with friends. Communities sprung up around video games for a reason. We, despite popular media popularizing gamers as loner basement dwellers, are very social creatures. There was nothing like getting on the school bus and finding a seat next to your friend and sharing your stories about the amazing thing you found or adventure you went on last night or dropping some knowledge on them because you got the issue of Nintendo Power or Sega Challenge before theirs arrived. Tabletop gaming gets back to that in a very pure and real and shared way. Obviously, some people still have this life even at later stages, but it has been over two decades since I had a friend on the couch punching me in the shoulder for hitting him with a blue shell. Keep up what you're doing. You guys are great. That comes from C4, who wanted to advocate for getting back to what what is wonderful about games, and that is playing with other people. Advocating for uh, Tabletop to maybe be the conduit for that. I absolutely love that email. Thank you, C4, for sending it. Uh, if you want to have your parting gift on the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send it. Uh, my parting gift, uh, you'll probably hear me talk about this again next week. I'm going to go do Hood to Coast this weekend, which is a big famous race in Portland. And uh, I thought I'd you know give a shout out to Geeks and Sneaks. If there is any chance that someone else listening to this is also doing Hood to Coast, I would love somehow meet up and say, hi, I'm going to fly to Portland on Thursday. And then it's a 36 hour straight relay race with uh, two vans full of people. You, you get out, you run your leg, get back in the van. Next person gets out, runs, and uh, you, you go basically no sleep for 36 hours, but you run from Mount Hood to the coast in Portland. And I'm, I'm so excited. I've been wanting to do this for a long, long time, but uh, you have to, there's a lottery because there's more people that want to do it than they have slots for. So I, I got very lucky. I'm going to be able to do it this year. So uh, I'm sure you'll hear me talk about that again next week, but I want to give a shout out to uh, geeks and sneaks. And if there happens to be anybody listening to this, who's also doing it, man, I would love to give you a high five over there. All right. That's going to do it for the 300th episode of DLC. I want to thank Christian Spicer for being here with me. All those 300 episodes. I want to thank Garnett Lee for making this show possible in the first place because we made Weekend well, Confirmed. let's not get carried away. No, it's this show wouldn't ha- have happened if it wasn't for Weekend Confirmed. I, I would don't never, believe that. I don't believe that for a second, but you're very generous. I would never have met Christian Spicer uh, if it wasn't for Weekend Confirmed. And I would never have done That's a true. Full- I live next to I live next door to Jeff for 10 years. I refused. I refused to answer my door. He was standing there with brownies so many times. I refused to open the door. Do you have a cup of milk? <laughs> uh, so thank you, Garnet, for being here on the 300th episode. Thank you guys uh, so yes, for having me. Sincerely. This is absolutely awesome. I mean, it's it's something uh, you know. Obviously, people have been saying, "When are you going to do this again?" I needed a uh, I needed a soft landing. You provided it in fantastic form. 
Thank you very well, much. Well, we are very soft and you've landed on us and we appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I want to also give a big shout out. I know I say it every episode, but I want to make a, a, a bigger point after 300 episodes. It, it, it wasn't in every episode, but it has been in the majority of them that we have had these goofy, fun, wonderful, musical bumpers between each segment. And those were created by Sean Madigan, Patrick L and Zero Star, who are amazing for donating their labor and putting their mark on the show. Uh, I love them. I still love them every time we play them and I'm indebted to them for, uh, for donating their talents to make the show better. Um, thanks to the folks at five by five for making the show happen when we back 300 episodes ago and keeping us going all this time. Um, and most of all, most of all, thank you to you. If this is the first episode you've listened to, I'm grateful that you gave it a shot. If you've been here since episode one, I can't believe it. 300, 300 weeks later, 300 episodes later, we're still going. Uh, I'm surprised, but I'm very grateful. And it wouldn't have happened without you downloading the show and putting us in your ear holes. Uh, we, are, we are grateful. And we will uh, hope to honor that by giving you great content and continuing to do so as much as we possibly can. So until next week, 301, we start our second 300 episodes. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>